Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up another week. Lots going on in the news, and we're going to get uh, a chance to hear from a lot of folks on different topics today. The European uh, Union will not renew anti-dumping duties on U.S. ethanol. So that could open up the market there, hopefully to more U.S. ethanol. We're going to talk about that with the chief economist for the U.S. Grains Council. We're also going to talk with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, about uh, their work with the Panama Canal and that ongoing effort and um, what that means for U.S. growers. We hope to be talking with the uh, Minnesota Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson if his schedule allows. We think we're going to be able to talk with him about conditions in the state of Minnesota and some other ag issues as well. So a lot of things going on, but I want to start with a story we started hearing a lot about yesterday. Some great reporting from Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets reporter with Reuters. Uh, EPA, whenever they've been um, asked about and challenged about their policy for granting these small refinery exemptions, these waivers to the RFS, they often cite uh, a court case uh, as their reason for doing it. And now, thanks to this reporting by Reuters, we learned that uh, they were making those decisions before that uh, court case, that ruling ever came down. Jarrett Renshaw is with us now. Jarrett, thanks for being with us. Great reporting yesterday. Fill us in on some of the details on this story. It's quite a story. Sure, yeah. I think there's uh, I think there's two major points that kind of change the way we understand what happened at the EPA. One is, like you said in the intro here, you know, the oil industry and the EPA largely uh, said had a court-driven narrative that the EPA's hands were tied with these small refining waivers. They were doing them wrong. The court slapped them down, and they had no choice but to give them. So that that is the that is the that was the narrative that they put forth, and I think that was due in part to to kind of leave the EPA unaccountable for its decisions. Right? If their hands are tied, then nobody can challenge them. Right? But uh, what we have learned is that. Uh, four months before that key decision, the EPA had already made made the key change, which was loosening the standards that allowed uh, more refineries to uh, to qualify for the small refining waiver. So it completely debunks the court-driven narrative. So that, I think that's, that's important. It, it doesn't ignore that the courts ruled in the case. I think we have to keep that in mind. Um, the courts have spoken. To what extent, I, I think is unclear to me, but that doesn't absolve the fact that the courts had spoken, but the timeline's clearly much different than what the oil industry has said. And, and almost more importantly, we have a, um, a, a former EPA official who said on the record that one of the, the motivations for expanding the waiver program was to have a broader, a broader goal of driving down the cost of RINs, which I think is, um, to me, perhaps maybe the more important fact, um, because this is not just about uh, retooling a program, they saw it as a tool uh, to get uh, a broader goal, which was uh, to drive down the price of RINs. And I think, as you and I know, they were widely successful. Yeah, they, they've done that, that's for sure. Now, so again, um, EPA, four months before the court ruling, they cited as the reason they granted these waivers, four months before that ruling, they were already doing it. Uh, Senator Grassley is very outspoken about this, uh, saying that, uh, you know, he's asked repeatedly and obviously he feels uh, that he's been lied to by EPA on this. What do you think comes from this, Jarrett? Now, that is that is a that is a great question. Like, I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure, you know, uh, do letters matter? They, ha- they haven't. Right. They ha- he hasn't gotten much response. What what levers does he have? He has legislative tools such as blocking nominations, maybe funding and stuff like that. I think that's where he, he exercises some power. His voice carries some weight. My suspicion is that he will get a somewhat of a sympathetic ear from the White House on this. I, I think um, the White House has to pay attention to, to, to Senator Grassley. He comes from an important state. Um, so I think perhaps his his relationship with the president and perhaps with the, with the White House could prove pivotal here, but th- I think that's where I think that's where this will that's where he'll uh, take his influence. But 
you know, that's what I'm waiting to see, Mike. I, I don't really know. I mean, he had a lot of words to say. I think, you know, actions carry more weight than words with me, right? So let's just see what he does. And uh, I think that's something we'll, we'll, we'll try to track and keep up to date on. Well, this comes back to the question I've raised over and over, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, for a president that is very outspoken in his support of renewable fuels, uh, his agency, under two administrators now, doesn't seem to follow along with what the president is saying. So the question becomes, is the president just saying these things and not really supportive of the biofuels industry that he allows this to happen? Or does he have a rogue agency that he's not uh, reining in and, and telling them or making them do what he wants done? I, I think that's still the question. And this, I think this brings that into question even more. No doubt, no doubt. I, you know, I think, you know, trying to analyze what the president does, and any president to be fair, but it, particularly this president, is, is a challenge. He certainly has been an outspoken friend of the energy industry, right? That, and he's been an outspoken friend of the agriculture industry, at least in public and what he says. He's certainly on the permitting side, on the pipeline. There's a long track record I think we could point to for him supporting the oil industry. His, his, his support of the agriculture industry is certainly mixed. Um, you know, the China uh, a trade deal, lack of one, that is obviously having an impact. Obviously, the biofuel community does not feel that he's in their corner, at least all the time. So I think it's fair to, to, to assess him, given, again, what we talked about, words don't matter as much as actions. And I, I, I do think there's a mixed record on the agriculture side with this uh, with this president. But I'll tell you, I, I was in Iowa now some months back, but they, at that point in time, they, you know, they, they still loved, they still really liked him. They, uh, despite the China stuff, they, I think they still saw that as a, a means to a, a bigger goal end, and then they were giving them rope. I haven't revisited there. Uh, I'd be curious. I don't know if you talk to folks, whether they, they have changed their perspective, um, but they, they were pretty still solidly behind them, um, despite some of these, uh, I think, uh, these issues. Yeah, I think there's still support there, but I think it's being strained and tested, and I think patience is running thin because of the trade issues, and then you, you add something like this onto it as well. Uh, I think a lot of folks getting to the point where they're saying we need to see some action to back up the words and uh, still waiting to see that on a number of fronts. All right, Jarrett, thank you. Great reporting, a fascinating story that uh, we'll be watching to see what is the next step, what comes from this. Thanks a lot. All right, Mike. Take it easy. Take care. Jarrett Renshaw, National Energy Markets Reporter for Reuters, again reporting that the EPA, which often is cited the reason uh, they had they granted those uh, waivers to the RFS is because of a court decision. Well, we now know they were granting those waivers four months before that court decision came down. All right, coming up next, we hope to be talking with Minnesota Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson. Also check on some news. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 To learn talk, how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture financial issues, farm or business problems, and fear of losing the farm 
impacts farmers' mental health. That's according to a, a new poll that is sponsored by the American Farm Bureau Federation. May is Mental Health Month, and we're talking now with Ray Atkinson, American Farm Bureau Federation Director of Strategic Communications. Ray, thank you for joining us. Tell us more about this poll that uh, Farm Bureau sponsored. We're all aware of the challenging farm economy right now. We know it's having an impact um, on farmers and ranchers. So uh, we partnered with, uh, we had Morning Consult conduct a research poll for us, uh, 2,000 rural adults across the country. And as you mentioned, financial issues are really on top. The top three things, financial issues, farm business problems and fear of losing the farm are the top three things that we're hearing that are really uh, impacting farmers' mental health right now. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're very happy to welcome for the first time to AOA, Tom Peterson, Minnesota Ag Commissioner. Tom, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you this morning, Mike. Commissioner, uh, we know your farmers in Minnesota, like uh, farmers in many other parts of the country, really struggling to get crops planted this spring. Can you give us an update? Well, I uh, just uh, drove in from my farm, which is about an hour north of the Twin Cities, and so I drive in about an hour, and so from Pine City uh, down straight north, uh, south to the Twin Cities, I counted about eight fields planted uh, out of thousands of acres. So in the eastern part of the state, not looking good at all. And uh, there was talk of three, four inches of rain this weekend and some cold weather. And so that's tough. But in the western part of the state, we're seeing uh, central part of the state, uh, you know, three-fourths of the crop being in in some areas. Uh, northwest Minnesota, farmers are being done. Southwest, a little slower. Southeast, uh, going strong today. So uh, trying to beat the rain and uh, you know, and so in some cases, uh, looking good. Other cases, not so good. Cold, wet weather, not unusual for Minnesota, but it is unusual for it to last this long, right, this late into uh, May. You know, you're really, really hitting on that. If it's not the wet weather, it's the cold soil temperatures, too, and that's, uh, you know, been a, been a real drawback this year, just a really uh, slow uh, last two years. You know, farmers really struggle to get the crop in there, and so... That's, uh, you know, frustrating, and people are doing uh, everything they can. We issued an executive order 
uh, for fertilizers uh, last week to kind of keep the supply moving as fast as we can and uh, you know and just do, doing uh, what we can here but it's uh, frustrating at that point. Are you dealing with the flooding issues? You know, um, knock on wood, uh, Mike, the flooding issues in Minnesota turned out to be not as bad as they could have been. Uh, And, uh, you know, tough to see some of our states to the south uh, in much worse situations than Minnesota has been this year. We did have a lot of heavy snow, and we we had uh, several hundred barn collapses in uh, uh, Minnesota this uh, late spring that were very difficult for our livestock farmers. But the flooding uh, has been uh, not as as bad as it could have been this year. We're talking with Minnesota Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson. Commissioner, let's uh, let's talk about some of the issues. Of course, trade very much on the farmers' minds, and uh, you know the administration working on another round of uh, market facilitation payments. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and what are you hearing from farmers about? Uh, how the administration is handling these trade issues and their thoughts of uh, things like getting the uh, payments in, instead of trade uh, that they obviously rather have the trade, but their thoughts on how the administration is handling this. You know, Mike, uh, you know, that's, it's, a, it's a tough one, you know, and so all I'll say, and, and you know this, and it's, it's similar around the country, that farmers are just really struggling right now. Uh, you know, uh, across the sector, we're seeing farmers uh, just uh, really having a hard time uh, on their, some of their balance sheets. And so to continue to have these, uh, uh, you know, the trade wars, um, but also just volatility in the markets uh, has been very difficult for uh, for farmers. And um, so, and, um, you know, I think the trade uh, payments are obviously are going to be welcome. Farmers are going to take the payments, but you know, farmers would always like to get the price from the marketplace and get some stability back in that. A lot of our uh, beans and products go to the Pacific Northwest and then on to Asia, and um, that's an important market for us. And, you know, farmers see it. You know, farmers started to panic last week. We saw $7 beans, and then this week seeing the high $6 beans. Um, that's that's uh, frustrating to farmers, especially as you're putting a crop in the ground and so I think uh, that message is being delivered to the administration. That's why you're seeing another round of aid uh, coming at this time. But, uh, you know, on top of that, too, with the USMCA uh, issues, it's, uh, you know, it's a, a tough time right now in the marketing with, with farmers and products. And that's why in Minnesota we just continue to look at where we can add value and, and try to move some of that product as well. The dairy industry has been especially hard hit. Kind of give us an overview of your dairy industry there in the state of Minnesota and uh, the struggles that dairy producers are having right now? Yeah, you know, uh, good question. You know, we, we have a strong uh, dairy industry in Minnesota, where, um, but we've, we've lost uh, a lot of dairy farms in Minnesota, as, as uh, other states have. We have about 2,700 dairy farms uh, in Minnesota. Uh, we have a lot of uh, quite, quite the variety. They run from uh, 40 cows on up to several thousand uh, we, uh, you know, farmers are trying to hang on to see how the new farm bill is going to be, uh, uh, how that program is going to work as we get into the June sign-up. At our state legislature, we're working hard with legislators to see if we can also uh, have an incentive and aid package for farmers, dairy farmers specifically, to try to help them uh, into uh, uh, the new farm bill. And so uh, important industry here in Minnesota but like other parts of the country, uh, struggling uh, at this time. You're also a big biofuel state, and there have been some real challenges there on the biofuels industry. Uh, kind of give us an update there how your biofuels industry is doing. You know, our biofuels industry, like others, is, is facing challenges at the time. Uh, Minnesota, we're proud. We have a nation-leading uh, B20 uh, mandate that's uh, in place right now, and it, it blinks off in the uh, um, in uh, um, uh, or we have a B20 mandate right now in the summertime, and that's uh, uh, been working well the last uh, year uh, that we've had it, and we have a um, strong ethanol program here in Minnesota. But as uh, you know, challenges uh, in that too as well. Um, but we're continuing to try to develop our markets and. 
and also our uh, um, co-product market with uh, biofuels as well. And so, but we are uh, proud of our B20 mandate here in the state. Yeah, your your state has been a leader in uh, in supporting and promoting uh, the biofuels industry. Uh, we're talking with Minnesota Ag Commissioner Tom Peterson. Now you have the uh, the House Ag Committee Chair Colin Peterson from your state, so uh, that. Uh, that has to help, but and he has addressed uh, some uh, pretty critical issues uh, for not only your state of Minnesota, but for, for the country. Uh, he's a strong advocate for, for agriculture, a real voice, isn't he? You know, he is, you know, and it is such a... Um you know, pleasure to, you know, in my career, work with Colin for many years and the knowledge that he has and the background and the ability to work across party lines. And, you know, that's why I like working in the agricultural space a lot of times that uh, the issues do tend to be nonpartisan at times and uh, we can work together. And I think that's a strong part of Colin's, uh, but just that long knowledge that he has. And we're also lucky to have uh, two senators, uh, uh, both uh, Amy Klobuchar and Tina Smith that also serve on the Senate Aid Committee, as well as um, other congressmen, uh, Angie Craig and Jim Hagedorn, that serve on the House Ag Committee. And so I think that's been really, really helpful for us, too, as well uh, in Minnesota. But having Colin Peterson and his uh, background is, is an asset for not just Minnesota, but our whole country. Well, you have and you mentioned Amy Klobuchar. You have a presidential candidate, so that might give you even a little more attention. Exactly. You know, you know, on Senator Klobuchar, she's been in the Senate a long time now. And, you know, it's amazing, you know, when I sit and listen to her talk about agriculture issues, um, the knowledge that she has, the depth that she has. And I think that's really important uh, in any presidential candidate that uh, that they take, uh, you know, uh, pay attention to agriculture issues. That's that's one of my personal things that I look at on any presidential candidate is. What are they? What's their thoughts on agriculture? What's their knowledge, and uh, what do they care? Right. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. that's the uh, important thing. Commissioner, what are some of your state issues uh, for agriculture that you're dealing with there in Minnesota, and some of the things uh, being done to address those? Yeah. So in, at our state level, the trade is a big piece. We're trying to look at our domestic markets and international markets. So. Not having China right now, we're looking at assistance to try to help move products to other countries in Southeast Asia, South America, Europe, but also our domestic markets here trying to be creative. So we have some initiatives on that. I mentioned the dairy. Hemp is a really big issue. We're going from about 50 growers last year to about 500 this year, just really taking off in Minnesota. Um, emergency preparedness, big issue, uh, looking at African swine fever uh, and uh, making sure that uh, we do everything we can to keep that out of uh, not just Minnesota but the United States. Combating things like uh, Palmer amaranth uh, is a big issue. And then also just working on our administrations, working on tax incentives um, and help for farmers as well as health care. So no shortage of uh, issues uh, to help our farmers here in Minnesota and work better for us for them well i wanted i wanted to get an overview of the agriculture industry in your state and you've done that for us thank you I want to come back and talk with you another time about hemp and some of those other issues okay so we'll talk again so, thank sounds you sounds good appreciate the opportunity mike you bet yep bye-bye minnesota ag commissioner tom peterson joining us here on aoa Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level Don reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. 
Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as four and a half percent and fuel economy by up to five percent. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Your local FS is member-owned, and that means when you buy our flagship brands like FS Envision and FS High Soy, you're actually buying seed from yourself. And you wouldn't sell yourself anything but the best, would you? In field after field, FS brands are out-yielding the competition. Talk to your local FS crop specialist about Envision corn or high soy soybean seed today. At harvest, you'll be glad you did. Envision and high soy are available exclusively at your local FS member company. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Overnight grain trade was a mix, a firm footing affair in wheat and corn futures. Soybean futures were slipping. Grain prices have rebounded in recent days after slumping on higher Chinese tariff news. The rally's been driven by some investors unwinding short positions, according to the Wire Talk. With forecasts of wet weather in the Midwest this weekend, grain traders anxiously awaiting the results of Monday's crop progress report could serve to push the futures higher once again, especially in corn. According to the sources, the prospect for more rain in already saturated regions threatening to further slow down corn plantings that could prompt some farmers to switch to planting soybeans instead. The Trump administration said to be close to negotiating a solution to the steel and aluminum tariffs it imposed on NAFTA partners Canada and Mexico. That's a development that could have a positive effect on congressional approval of USMCA. With Friday's market numbers, here is Kirsten Rawl. On the trading board today, soybeans are losing ground. Nearby, down eight and three quarters at 8.30 and three quarters. Nearby, corn up four at 3.83. For the wheats, Minneapolis spring wheat July up five and a half at 5.32 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat July up four and a quarter at 4.21. Chicago wheat July up two and a quarter at 4.69 and a half. For livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures, June up 67 at 111.17, August up 77 at 108.72. In feeder cattle futures, May steady at 134.22, August $1.37 higher at 144.70. In lean hog futures, June down 22 at 90.02. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 80 points lower, the NASDAQ composite down 52, S&P is down 11 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rall for the American Ag Network. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, we do have some good trade news. The European Commission recently decided not to renew anti-dumping duties on European Union imports of U.S. ethanol. And here to talk about it is Mike Dwyer, Chief Economist for the U.S. Grains Council. Mike, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is an important decision, right? I mean, this could open up uh, the Europe uh, uh, market to more U.S. ethanol products? 
Absolutely. The uh, the anti-dumping duties that have been in place for the last five years have essentially tacked on a penalty tariff of 9.5% on what is already a 20-plus percent tariff rate. So, uh, yeah, it made it really difficult to compete. Uh, interestingly enough, um, last year we exported 109, uh, 110 million gallons of ethanol to the EU, uh, and this comes this makes it our fourth largest market and comes despite these penalties, which really goes to show how competitive American ethanol is around the world right now. We are by far the lowest cost source of ethanol, uh, bioethanol anywhere. And if we were getting in with this much volume before, uh, a 9.5% reduction in the tariff will only make it easier to export to Europe. Now, having said that, I will say Europe is increasingly acting as a reshipment point throughout Africa and the Middle East. So American ethanol will go into the EU and get re-exported into regions outside the community. But according to the USDA's recent report, a fair amount of U.S. ethanol was actually not only coming into Europe, but actually penetrating and going in uh, to the, the fuel market in Europe to be blended with gasoline and sold to motorists. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's all good news. I mean, if we were getting in with this much before, uh, imagine the advantages that uh, another 9.5% reduction essentially in the price will be for, for our competitiveness. Mike, I think a lot of times when we talk trade issues, uh, people overlook the importance of these issues when it comes to ethanol. And I've tried to point that out with the China situation, uh, that this is huge for the U.S. ethanol industry to get some kind of a deal done and get that market opened up. There is this growing worldwide demand for ethanol, and we're sitting here as the supplier of ethanol if we can just get some of these trade issues uh, straightened out. Well, trade issues straightened out, you're right. Well, we've got a a multitude of these we're simultaneously facing, and it takes a fair amount of my time at the U.S. Greens Council to deal with them. Um, But we're really in the business of finding the next dollar worth of exports, market development business, and it is really what uh, over half of our program is devoted to, which is explaining the benefits of clean, you know, corn ethanol to buyers around the world and, and, and trying to create demand that doesn't exist now. There's just so much misinformation out there, Mike, on, on, you know, some people say it's good for the climate, some say it's bad. The science is overwhelmingly supportive of the role of uh, ethanol. And if it's U.S. ethanol, it comes at a discount to consumers. Most countries oversupport this sector, and it ends up being a premium. In other words, it actually adds to the price of fuel, but not if you use U.S. ethanol because of the big discount to, to gasoline and to the aromatics and MTBE that's in a lot of people's gas. So, um, and it may seem a little bit technical, but, you know, we have a dual challenge, growing demand, number one, and then making sure we have access to the demand. And it is a full-time job for the four people at the Grains Council. Uh, the rest of the Grains Council is pitching in as well. we got our officers around the world right now becoming quick studies in the energy market, you know, where, where we're experts in the animal feed market. But we have changed uh, the DNA. The whole council has shifted in the last four years. And we're hitting it in 40 countries right now. we got programs in 40 different markets. It is truly a global effort. We've got RFA and Growth Energy at our side, so we're going and doing a lot of great things together. And that's interesting. We're talking with Mike Dwyer, Chief Economist for the U.S. Grains Council. Interesting to hear how there at the council you are really getting uh, making that switch more in, into the uh, the ethanol market potential and working on that market development. There is this... Um, I think spurring this demand, right, is the uh, the goal and the efforts to achieve cleaner air. Uh, cleaner air and reduce carbon emissions. And we didn't sign the Paris Agreement, but every other country in the world did. And I remind them of that when they say, well, you guys didn't even sign the agreement. I said, but you did. Now what are you going to do to actually realize these carbon reductions? One of the easiest things any country can do is blend ethanol. It, it yields significant carbon reductions uh, in the emission side. And is really not a big lift. There's not very little infrastructure investment involved. And once again, trying to deal with all the misinformation that's out there is really a major part of what this job is all about. But we are resonating 18.5% a year compound growth over the last five years. Makes ethanol the fastest growing U.S. agricultural export over the last five years. So uh, we must be doing something right. Yeah, now you talked about the, the all these markets you're working in. T- uh, give us an idea of some of them that hold a, the, uh, the most uh, immediate potential. Uh, China. Uh, if we could get past this trade uh, uh, dispute uh, with China, 
That market is prime. We have spent the last four years explaining what E10 could do for them. They bought in completely. They've sent their officials to the U.S., courtesy of the U.S. Grains Council. We brought them in. We showed them everything we're doing. We gave them advice on policy development. And the secret sauce of ethanol mandates is enforcement. The only countries that do it right are those that enforce it. And they have now bought into that, and they're willing to import considerable volumes in order to hit their E10 target. And so we're looking at a, a potential billion-gallon market probably within the next two to three years. I mean, a wow, billion so gallons just China. We're only exporting 1.6 to the whole world right now, and that's a record. So you're talking, you know, nothing to China today up to maybe a billion gallons in two to three probably the market that we have our, 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 our sights set on immediately for the short-term future. Mexico, another great possibility. Uh, that's a potential 1.2 billion gallon market if they blend E10, which the country appears to be moving that way. I mean, I, I could go on and on. Opportunities for us. That's why we're in 40 different countries, to make sure we hit it hard. Yeah, and you know, we talk a lot about the challenges here to get uh, uh a greater share of the ethanol market in the U.S. Uh, you know, in some places, you know, we look at these other countries around the world. Are they more open uh, to uh, ethanol than even the, some of the things we're dealing with here in the U.S.? I mean, uh, that it's ironic to me that some other countries it'd be easier maybe to uh, sell ethanol into and get ethanol use into than here in the U.S. Well, in some cases it is. I mean, the E15, most of the industry is excited about what year-round E15 availability will mean over the next three to five years. So we're big proponents of the domestic market. But we actually think over the next five years the export market has probably uh, a better future. Uh, it will contribute more to corn grind than the growth in the domestic market. Um, and once again, it's just a simple matter of explaining the economics. Uh, and, the, and the benefits of ethanol blending to these other countries. And it, you don't just do it in your first trip there. Mm -hmm. It takes multiple engagements uh, of scientific exchanges, bringing their folks back here, bringing our folks over there. Um, but it's working. Uh, Japan is going to be a 100-million-gallon market this year. If it wasn't for uh, the active involvement we've had there trying to convince their officials that U.S. ethanol is green enough for their taste, and they've now bought into that, we're now going to sell them 100 million gallons. It would not happen had it not been for the involvement, our involvement in that market. You know, I, I so find that fascinating. I talk a lot yeah. about, you know, all this about the green movement here in the U.S. and looking for new fuels and things. Uh, I, I, it's frustrating that some of our own leaders here in this country refuse to see we have a green fuel uh, supply system already in place here, and they should be embracing it. Yeah, I think uh, we're just part of a larger energy revolution in this country. I mean, we all know about, you know, what's going on in the, in, in the field, you know, fracking of oil, new exploration technologies that are making us a force to be reckoned with in the petroleum market. But simultaneously with that development, the same thing happened in renewable fuels. So we consider ourselves another energy product just made from an agricultural feedstock with carbon reduction benefits as a kicker and clean air benefits as a kicker. So, yeah, I mean, our job is basically just getting to the right people and giving them the right message, the message that it's clean, it can uh, address their – most of the markets we're dealing with, air quality is near toxic levels. And one of the quickest things they can do is stop adding to the problem because the reason they're in the mess that they're in is their, their fuel is not a clean fuel at all. Uh, heavy emissions of, of all kinds of, like, benzene – the aromatics are loaded with carcinogenic products. We explain that to them. And if you can get a solution to that and actually spend less money on the finished fuel, I mean, that's just, you know, crazy. And, Mike, unlike a lot of other products that we sell, there there aren't, aren't a lot of competitors out there, right? I mean, we're the big supplier of ethanol. We are. 61% of world trade in ethanol is American corn ethanol. So basically six out of every 10 gallons traded around the world originate in the U.S. That's an amazing market share in just like the last seven years. It's gone from like 10% to 61% of world trade, and we have displaced the Brazilians as number one. They're our largest market. We're their largest market. We trade with each other. We're increasingly collaborating with each other for the greater good of building a global ethanol market. And I recently spent some time with that industry in New York City. 
And I think we're going to be doing a lot more together going forward instead of just going it alone. Um, ethanol is a molecule. It doesn't matter what the feedstock is. It's the exact same performance. The only difference is the carbon profile, and our product's getting greener every year, and the price. And ours is you, no one was within 20% of us in price. And with that as a tailwind, as we go around developing markets, we don't have to push American ethanol. We just need to push ethanol. And then when they say, where's the cheapest product to be had, we say, you know, by 20% cheaper. So we're like the Saudi Arabia of the ethanol market. That's right. It's a huge opportunity and, and a story that uh, I don't think we uh, talk about nearly enough. Mike, thanks for giving us an update. Uh, I think exciting potential, exciting news there. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Dwyer, Chief Economist for the U.S. Grains Council. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, as we continue to... Uh wait for movement on USMCA and Congress. We want to get an update on the situation in Mexico. Joining us now is Kim Adams, Vice President and COO of the U.S. Grains Council. Kim, thanks for joining us. Now, you were just in Mexico. Tell us about your trip there. Yeah, we had a really um, productive meeting, um, a couple of meetings. We met, of course, with a lot of our key partners in the biotech and trade space. You know, a lot of, of course, just you know, really long history in Mexico um, in terms of our presence there and, and collaboration with a lot of our members and, um, of course, the industry in Mexico. So we met with a lot of those companies while we were down in Mexico City as well as with um, government officials to talk about USMCA and, the, and kind of movement on uh, various kind of trade issues. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. People respond differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Those who spend their days tending to the land have a unique perspective on change. They see it up close every day, as one season fades into another, as a seed grows into a stalk, as a field of gold is spun out of the land, sun, and sky. Change is their livelihood. Since the beginning, Poet has shared a fundamental connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We are inspired by change. Climate change may be the most daunting challenge yet, but we believe it's not insurmountable. The same spirit of innovation that helped build a worldwide biofuels industry 
will help us tackle the environmental issues we're facing today together. Sustainable biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins. These solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So we do have some positive trade news. We just heard about uh, the European uh, Union's decision not to uh, renew anti-dumping duties on U.S. ethanol. So that should help open that market up to more sales of ethanol and also good trade news, Secretary of Agriculture Purdue announcing that the United States and Japan have agreed on new terms and conditions that would eliminate Japan's long-standing restrictions on U.S. beef exports. That should open the way for expanded sales of beef into the U.S.'s top global beef market. So some good news there. Um, still no major trade agreement announced with Japan, but at least that with that move, that ought to help open the market up to even more U.S. beef going into Japan. So some good news there. Let's talk some more trade issues now with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. The Soy Transportation Coalition and the Panama Canal Authority have extended a memorandum of understanding between the two organizations. Mike, thanks for joining us. Tell us about uh, the significance of this MOU between the two organizations. Well, it's in the best interest of the Panama Canal Authority for U.S. soybean exports to be strong. It's one of their key clients or customers that use the Panama Canal on an annual basis. And it's in the best interest of U.S. soybean farmers for the Panama Canal to be strong and well-maintained and robust. And so it's kind of a natural partnership. We've, we you know, first established a, a memorandum of understanding in 2011. We ex- we've extended it once, and now we've extended it one more time. And it's all just an effort to make sure that we're, we're doing all we can to promote, obviously, our industry, but also promoting what's happening in, in, in Panama uh, the Panama Canal is wanting to make sure that the U.S. soybean industry is as strong as possible, really trying to shed light on the fact that we really have a global supply chain. And, and you know, we can't just fixate on, for farmers, to folks fixate on roads and bridges and our, our ports and our inland waterway system, our rail system. You know, things like the Panama Canal is really integral to our competitiveness. And so making sure that that's well-maintained and strong and robust certainly is in our best interest. This memorandum of understanding just really helps us make sure that we're doing these joint promotional events to really shed light on this important issue. Well, there's been quite a modernization of the Panama Canal in, in recent years. Give us an update of that situation. They, you know, the, the, the original Panama Canal was, was first opened for business in 1914, uh, so over 100 years ago, and it's still kind of one of the workhorses of the Panama Canal Authority, these these 100-plus-year-old uh, locks. But uh, a couple years ago, the, the Panama Canal actually opened a new set of locks uh, better equipped to handle these larger ships that are crisscrossing our oceans. I had the opportunity to be there uh, for that inaugural transit. And so there's a lot of additional volume that's using 
uh, the Panama Canal. So it's just kind of an effort for them to better position themselves in the 21st century. Um, but so, so those new canal locks are obviously really important to global trade. But, you know, again, it's even the, the old 1914 ones that are really a, 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 an engineering feat, uh, one of the great engineering stories in human history um, that continue to provide a lot of value for a host of industries, including the soybean industry. And it really should be a lesson for us in the United States that if you do a good job of taking care of these transportation assets, like the Panama Canal Authority takes care of these 1914 locks, we can dramatically elongate the useful life of the locks and dams on our rivers. So, you know, I, I think there's a real lesson for us that um, is doing a better job of practicing stewardship, taking care of what you have, um, we think that makes a whole lot of sense, and the Panama Canal Authority is a good example of that. You know, Mike, several years ago, I was uh, at the Panama Canal. This was before their expansion and, and modernization. Uh, it was just a, an, a, an incredible sight uh, to be up in the control tower there, and and, uh, and I was looking out over the canal and seeing all these ships from around the world. is like a, a huge parking lot of ships on the water out there waiting to get through. Uh, it's just... That image has always stuck with me of how important that uh, that canal is for the movement of products around the world. You know, when you think about you know so much of the high productive area for for soybeans and for corn, you know, really it's it's a lot of it's adjacent to our inland waterway system, the Mississippi River, the Ohio River, Illinois River, Arkansas River. All of that ends up getting funneled down to the New Orleans area, and then it's put on a ship. A lot of it's making its way to Asia. And the Panama Canal is an important part of that, and and so it, it really is a unique link in our overall logistics chain. Obviously, it's very important to the Pan the country of Panama. Here's a country of three million people, but yet you have this major artery of global commerce running straight through it. It's a major source of of their annual gross domestic product. It's you know you don't have to prevail upon the average Panama citizen about the importance of the Panama Canal. They get it. So they, they understand the importance of logistics. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a real critical link in not only the soybean logistics chain, but a host of other industries as well. Well, we hear there may be another uh, high-level meeting uh, next week on uh, an infrastructure package. Are you hearing anything on that? Yeah, the, the discussions continue to occur. Um, you know, you, you know it's, it's nice when they kind of set aside the kind of the political food fight that often permeates uh, and dominates out in Washington, D.C., and actually you know, discussing some, something that's important to the American people. So that's, it's good news that that discussion is at least continuing, and you know, we're doing all that we can to really encourage that to proceed, making sure that agriculture and the need, our logistic needs are incorporated into that discussion. All right, Mike, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you, and uh, if we get some more word on the uh... Uh, development on infrastructure. We'll be back in touch. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. I know a lot of you are trying to get uh, planting as much done as you can before the next round of rain. Uh, please be very careful. Have a safe uh, planting season, as delayed as it is and stretched out as it is. And I know a lot of stress and uh, a lot of pressure, but please. Be careful. That wraps it up for today and for the week. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.